Okay, well, welcome to this other episode of The Little Breakfast, and I'm pleased to say uh, today, in this episode, we've got Tara Devlin. Hi, Tara, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, good to um, have you on The Little Breakfast, and you're looking very cosy there with your candles behind you. It's looking uh, very, um, is it Norwegian, or what's the name for that? Huga. I think. I think that's how you pronounce it. I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah. It sounds, that sounds a good pronunciation. Yeah. yeah. I forgot what that um that actually was. But um I am gonna be chatting with you today about why justice matters. Um and there may be people that have uh, heard of you before through things like Tear Fund over the years. Just wondering um if you could tell us a bit about yourself in terms of what you've maybe been up to or um you yeah. now what, what what's the crack as i say <laughs> <laughs> yes native of northern ireland yeah. um uh yeah so people if they have kind of seen me before because i i was around with tier fund scotland for 16 years so you know feral time um and uh, rounded about kind of mainly doing kind of youth and student stuff, but sometimes speaking to kind of churches and adults and festivals and stuff around Scotland. And then uh, a few years ago, my husband and I went to Jamaica uh, to work in the inner city in Trenchtown. Uh, we were involved in a, a youth and community project there. And then we came back last March, kind of forced by the, the pandemic to come back a little earlier than planned. Uh, and back in Edinburgh now and I'm working with a local charity based in Edinburgh and the Lothians who support people living with HIV and hepatitis C. Right so you've literally been around the houses and all yeah. around the world almost yeah and now we, yeah. we find ourselves in these unusual circumstances. Um, so thinking about the little breakfast we start and we talk a bit about breakfast so what would be your average day breakfast? My average day breakfast, I'm trying to be a bit more healthy at the moment, you know, shed the, the lockdown excesses. Uh, so I, I have a coffee and uh, some wholemeal toast and some banana. Right. Start the so day with a bit of fruit. Well, that's always good, but I'm just trying to picture what that looks like. So is the banana sitting next to the toast or is it on the <laughs> toast? <laughs> sliced, sliced on the toast, yes. Okay, sliced on the toast with some nice Irish butter. No, no butter. Just you know, being being very frugal. I mean, you know, I keep the butter for the weekends with my with my toasted wheat and bread. Right. That's, you yeah, know, yeah. that's the the treat. But uh, mid yeah. midweek, we just keep yeah. it kind of plain and simple. Is it not a little bit dry, like just sitting on top of the bread? It's not actually. You you yeah. should give it a try. It's kind of there's enough moisture in the banana to to right. make it feel like crunch, and then banana. It's good. Okay. So comments. Is it good without butter or margarine? Answers on a postcard. Um, so what about your nightmare breakfast? What would be a breakfast that you would just be like, oh, that's horrible? Yeah, my nightmare breakfast would probably be what other people think is probably a very trendy breakfast of latest times, which would be avocado on toast yeah. with uh, with some mushrooms on the side. That to me is just hideous. <laughs> I hate, I can't, can't get on board with avocados. Yeah. not right and and mushrooms are just the food of satan i'm just not <laughs> i mean they're a fungus what more do you need to know well it's not interesting fungus. when you say that because both are sort of a bit slimy aren't they yeah both the texture is uh, i mean i don't mind avocado but i don't know what all the rage is about it it just no. doesn't taste of a lot and it's a bit, yeah. a bit gooey uh, i'm with you on that one what about your dream breakfast what's your dream breakfast Dream breakfast is an Ulster fry. 
is an oyster fry. Yes. Okay. Yes. So people might be listening to this around the world and they might be saying, what did that lady just say? <laughs> what is, what, what's an oyster fry? <laughs> so some, some people might have little other bits and bobs that go on with this, but for me, the four key components of the oyster fry would be uh, sausage and none of your square sausage from Scotland here. This would be a, you call link sausage, but like sausage, Irish yeah. sausage, yeah. Um, fried uh, egg, Mm-hmm. and then fried potato bread and soda bread. Yeah. Um, probably quite regularly you would have bacon there. I can take or leave the bacon. Um, yeah. And yeah. some people might have other bits and bowls, but those four, for me, that's the key components. Yeah. And the bread is the bread is everything. The bread, you're right. Bread, The bread is everything in Northern Ireland, isn't it? Um, yeah. I, I take it you would have it in Northern Ireland to, to fulfil the dream, would you? Well, initially I did think about that. And I thought, you know, I mean, in the... in the closest thing to reality right now, yes, the dream would be to have it at home with mom and dad. But actually, if I could take my mom and dad and we could have our Ulster Fry in Dublin mm. before going to the Aviva for a, an Ireland game, yeah, uh, that would be that would really be the dream. That would just put <laughs> the icing on the cake there. <laughs> yeah, followed by a drink of something else, probably. Um, Maybe. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. <laughs> Depends on how well behaved you're being in, in lockdown, yeah. Um, That's true. <laughs> So changing gear, uh, we are going to be thinking about uh, why justice matters. And um, I've known you over the years in terms of your work in Tear Fund, and that's uh, mostly why I'm um, interested in knowing what you have to say about that. Um, but I guess on a really base level, Tara, what, how would you describe justice for people that are listening or watching? Yeah, I think... I think really simply justice is the act of making things right, uh, making things fair. Um, yeah. for, I think that's that's kind of what it boils down to, really. Okay, so making things right and making things fair, um, how does that work in, in terms of reality, in terms of um, maybe globally, what does that look like? Oh, goodness. I mean, I guess it's like, how long is a piece of string? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think justice can look like campaigning for um, structural change and for societal, you know, mm. change. Justice can look like um, evening up inequalities in in our systems, in our financial systems, in our structural systems, and in, in how things are. You know, we'll maybe kind of come on to some of the specifics of those in a little while yeah. um, about what we, justice, I think, comes down to how we spend our money. Mm. I, I remember there was a time with Fund where we just, we, we kind of boiled it down to how you used your voice and your your, your voice and your choice mm. um, in order to affect things being different. So where we see something that is unjust. Yeah. Um, being able to to say something or do something that contributes toward it being made right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, th- I think it's an interesting answer about being made right because we're obviously living in when you think of the West and you think of developing world and you think of different worldviews around the world. People have different perceptions of what right is you know and i guess that's where from a christian perspective you know we're 
I guess we need to attribute a Christian worldview that's coming from the Bible about what we believe is right, because I guess the problem comes, and maybe you've experienced that. We might again, we might unpack that a bit more as we go on. But like, what people's understanding of justice is yeah. presumably affects how we, you know, what we've used that voice for, or what we campaign for. And for some people, um, I mean, certainly in the last few years, even looking in the Western world, when you look at what's happened over the last few years in America, you know, what people's perception is of justice may well have changed, you know. And and that leads me on to another question, which which is, I, I guess, why should... Some people might say, well, why should Christians care about justice? Yeah. Uh, what, what would your response be to that? Uh I think my response would be, you really need to go and read the Bible uh, because I think it's very clear. I mean, God is a God of justice, but I think his heart for justice is is seen all the way through the Bible, but that particularly if you're talking about, you know, making things fair, making things right, yeah. he, he clearly talks about that with regard to people who are, you know, marginalised and poor and downtrodden the the widow the orphan the forgotten um you know those kind of the the refugee number of kind of categories but essentially you know even you just look at the life of jesus if whoever was on the outside he he brought in um and i think in all different kinds of ways Mm. you know god's god's heart for justice and god's heart for things actually being right and fair like that's part of who he is and it's part of how his mm. kingdom should be. And obviously we live in a fallen world and it's not like that, but he instructs his people again and again and again to mm. be on that side, to be on the side of of justice and to, to be on the side of lifting up the, the poor and the marginalised and specifically not to be the ones who are doing the marginalising or the ones yeah. who are... Um, exploiting you know people and putting them down or out or wherever it might be yeah so i just want to explore a bit of the tensions there because i think it would be naive of me to assume that most christians would be on board with um yeah we should care about justice right now it could sound absurd to people listening who aren't christians or not all people who aren't christians will care about justice and, and equally others will but there are some christians who will maybe sort of not agree with that and and i know and you know many years ago when i worked with students and you worked with students one of the classic sort of dividers was you know do we get involved in mission stroke evangelism or do we get involved in social justice and it was like the two of them were like ends with each other rather than being working together you know that actually it's almost mm-hmm. like where well, you can tell someone about jesus and you can tell them that they need to repent and come to their faith in jesus um and that's more important than um caring for the marginalized caring for the poor caring for the downtrodden um making a difference in, in society um so i i think probably those arguments come and go but they probably haven't gone away. So I don't. Do you want to unpack that a bit in terms of your thinking on that? I suppose I've just come to the place now where I kind of feel like it's almost like it feels to me like a red herring. 
Yeah. Um, that and a, and a false separation of our understanding of what it is to really follow Jesus. Yeah. Um, and that actually, the way I see it, the way I understand the Bible is that you know, yeah, if if I am a follower of Jesus, then it's a no-brainer that of course I am going to want to share him with other people yeah. and tell other people who he is. But equally, I'm also going to care passionately about people and about justice because that's just part of what I do. It's it's almost like somewhere along the way we've got this understanding that we can't do both. And I don't know where that came from because I kind of, the way I say it is like, no, we're meant to do both. And it's not like every, it's not that if I kind of sit here and say, well, I've told somebody about Jesus today. So I can't possibly campaign to my MP about the situation down the road that's unfair because I only believe in telling people about Jesus. I don't believe in also making sure those people are being Mm. cared for properly. I just think... Yeah, yeah. I think it's probably just been a bit of a red herring, but that as Christians, we love to get ourselves yeah. caught up in a nice argument with each other. <laughs> I think it's unhelpful. Yeah, what well, is it? We're absolutely right. I, th- I think one thing that I found really helpful over the past couple of years, and a helpful book on that, is Tim Keller's book *Generous Justice*. And in *Generous Justice*, you know, it, he's coming from a, more of a reformed position, but I think it's really interesting that he talks about those who are really keen on justification by faith tend not to be as keen on sort of the practical outworkings of justice. Those who are really keen on the practical outworkings of justice um, some, sometimes cannot be as keen on, on the kind of biblical theological understanding of justification by faith. Like, and, and I think he's got a good point there because actually his premise would be if you truly believe in justification then you need to have an outworking of justice from that, right? So um, because actually God's shown his grace to us and we show his grace to other people. But I just kind of wonder, as, as someone that's a pastor and, and what I see in culture, what I see in church life, not just our church, but in other churches, you know, how much have we in the West really understood what it is to love our neighbour? And, and I think that, so the same, if there's justice that's been shown to us, then we should show justice to others. If there's the love of God that's been shown to us, then we should show the love of God to others. But I just think it's so, there's so much unpacking that needs to happen there. Because I think for many of us, we think the love of God is, oh, well, I'd be nice to, oh, hi, how are you doing? Nice day. Or, or put, you know, put your bin out or will your wheelie bin up um, or you know, we're asking about somebody's family, how they're doing, and we're nice and we're kind to people. But when we're talking about the love of God being made known in terms of the fullness of that and justice, it's so much deeper, isn't it? And I think it's so much more challenging. And I just don't know whether we, I mean, in the West, but particularly in Scotland and in Edinburgh, how much have we understood what, it means to really truly love our neighbor i mean not just to be nice and say um you know oh it's a bit cold today isn't it do you know what i mean by that i mean if you've got any thoughts on that like in terms of the depths and the gravity of what god's love looks like and how that intersects with justice 
I suppose one of the first things that comes to mind, and maybe it's because I was just chatting with somebody about this earlier on this afternoon, is that, and I think particularly for those of us who are in quite middle-class churches, which let's face it, is actually most of our churches, um, and or certainly, you know, comfortable. Um, mm. we, we, if we think about justice or poverty or any of these kind of issues, the way that we respond to them, either individually or corporately, is by writing a check. Uh, you know, it's it's at a mm. it's at a still at a kind of comfortable arm's length yeah. distance. And it's not, it doesn't challenge me. It actually, and if I'm honest, it doesn't really cost me anything. I'm giving out of what I can kind of still easily afford, or maybe sometimes I'm a bit sacrificial in my in my mm. giving towards something. But I remember being really challenged years ago when I worked for Tier Fund and I talked about poverty and justice all the time. And I, I read um, The Irresistible Revolution by Shane Claiborne. And he talked about, you know, when, when Jesus talks about, you know, it, I was hungry and you fed me. And he says, you know, it's you, it's personal. He doesn't say I was hungry and you wrote a check to the Salvation Army and they paid, they yeah. fed me. Um, and he talked about how for so many Christians, we're, we're actually just really removed from you know mm. issues of poverty and justice yeah. and if we do care about them we do want to do something about them we still do it in this very kind of clean cut removed way and not really in a way that costs us anything more than maybe a bit of money yeah um and actually i think we need to get a whole lot closer to the issues to really understand and this is where i think maybe when we do look at you know the developing world and people who really understand not just the main national, there's plenty of people, the examples of people doing this in the UK, people who are genuinely right in amongst it, caring for loving their neighbours, campaigning yeah. for fair treatment of their town, their city, whatever. Um, but I think the develop the Christians in the developing world know how to do this and we need to learn from yeah. them. So that, that, that leads us on to thinking a bit about like your own experience of that, like what, has been your own experience of engaging in justice. Um, do you have any stories that can unpack some of that? I mean, I guess it's quite varied in terms of, of how I've related to that. And I've done, in lots of ways, I've done what I've just said. I, you know, I've been that person. That's why that bit in the Jane Claiborne's book really challenged me because I kind of thought, you know, I recognised myself in those pages, you know, and he went on to kind of say, you know, there's plenty of people who talk about loving the poor but don't know the name of a single poor person mm. or person living in poverty um, because it was all at arm's length and, and just, you know, really feeling that challenge of what does it look like to make this you know, mm. more personal and more costly. Um, mm. You know, and in in some ways, uh, we've we've done that when we've gone over, you know, to Jamaica and really kind of seen that and kind of maybe lived in that a, a little bit more. But I think it's also I, I saw a quote recently from actually from a thing that Tier Fund Youth Team did, all to do around the issue of of kind of race and responding to that injustice. 
And it's one of the guys, and I, I don't know his name, but he had said, um, when all is said and done, let there be more that's been done than's been said. Mm. And again, that was something that really challenged me because I thought, man, I, I can talk a good game about mm. justice. I can mm. talk a good game about all this stuff. But actually, yeah. do I make the time to make sure that my actions... Yeah. are lining up with what I say I believe and with what I say that I believe that God expects of me. So yeah. I suppose my most recent example, literally in this last week, has been um, a, a lady who I met in Jamaica two years ago who I had a conversation with about Scotland's legacy in Jamaica and slavery and reparation. And and I spoke to her and I said, you know, what what would you want and in the first instance, she just said, I want an apology. No one has ever said sorry mm, mm. for what happened here. Um, and at the time I said to her, you know, I can't bring you an apology from the British government. I can't bring you a, an apology from the Scottish government. I can bring you mine. Yeah. But I can also tell you that I will go and I will ask for one yeah. for you. And it was not until last week. It had been in my mind to still say, you know, at some point I need to write that letter. At some point I need to speak and use my voice as a citizen of this nation and ask the highest powers in the land yeah. to, to do, to write or to begin to write this wrong. And it took me until this week to actually sit down and put pen to paper. And so I wrote to Nicola Sturgeon and I asked her, told her about this interaction with this lady, asked her about apologising on behalf of Scotland. But as part of that said, actually one way of beginning to make reparation might be around the issue of vaccines, because there's been a lot of stuff, if anybody's been watching the news in the last couple of weeks, about the fact that actually globally there's a huge injustice in how yeah. COVID vaccines are being distributed. Um and Jamaica will be one of those countries that will be at least a couple of years behind Scotland in mm. terms of being able to access and afford the vaccine. Yeah. And so I suggested that one way to begin a journey of reparation would be for Scotland to contribute to Jamaica's uh, vaccine programme. So yeah. we'll see whether she <laughs> whether she goes back. But it was you don't mean it took me it took me a long time even yeah, with yeah. that to be like this is something I'm I care about and I'm passionate about. Yeah. But at some point I actually need to sit down and do. The work yeah no that, that that's good actually because i think it's helping me think about how i can engage in that in different ways so i mean give an example you know i mean like if if you know an obvious thing would be to say right okay we need to care for the poor in edinburgh right okay um get involved in bethany care van or do meals but i also think i mean i was having a conversation with my wife about this um grace who who has a very strong helps gift and is a nurse and you know for her it's like oh, that's something she would absolutely does love doing you know getting out there and helping and making meals for people but we're all different aren't we and and so it what we're not saying by this is care about justice and basically if you can get out there and wash and clothe and feed people then you're doing really well but if you can't do that you're a slacker i get your point that you can be at arm's length by just writing a check but maybe some of us have got other opportunities to be a voice and and one of the things that i i have done over the years with music is you know work closely with the mission aviation fellowship i know 
David and Yvonne Lyon have worked with Tear Fund and have tried to raise yeah. awareness of the work that charities are doing. And that can sound, I, I don't mean that to sound like cliche naff, like musicians flagging up the work of people like that. But I think there is, it's a, I guess what I'm trying to get at is we're all gifted in different ways and we all have different ways of contributing to that conversation, don't we? Or helping yeah. people. And, and what I was thinking in my mind as you were saying that is, is it not the case that it's about finding out how we can help against injustice and then using our gifts and who God has made us towards that? Yeah, I think there's probably, I think in some ways there's there's a bit of a both and. I think absolutely there's, I think there's something about, you know, asking God to lay on our heart maybe particular issues that we care about, you know, because it's it also is that thing of like, well, there's just so much injustice in the world like yeah. from your doorstep to the other side of the globe. Like, where do you even start? And so I think part of it is being able to kind of just ask God to maybe just lay a couple of things on your heart that you specifically want to focus your attention on and then to be able to kind of say okay well if those are the things I'm going to care about yeah what what does it look like to make a difference for those things and then yeah where does where does my particular blend of talents and gifts and position put me so that I can I can use those things towards that I mean I would say that there are still things like around something like campaigning is that actually sometimes just lending your voice to some to something to create a mass kind of push towards yeah. changing something is still like none of us need to be massively gifted to write an email or you know sign a yeah. petition or whatever it might be um but yeah I think there is something really important about saying what do I care about and what can I do yeah and put those two things together and say right this is this is how I'm gonna uniquely as me tackle this yeah so i think what you said there helps towards thinking about okay we can have this discussion about justice and how as christians it's a rightful thing there's lots of stuff in the bible about how we should care for the you know the widow the orphan the downtrodden the marginalized but you know what does it really look like on a day-to-day local basis and i i guess I hope this isn't too unfair or difficult an example, Tara, but like imagine if you lived in Morningside in Edinburgh. Like, so if, if people don't know Edinburgh, like it's a, a wealthier part of Edinburgh. If there isn't as much immediate poverty on the doorstep, um, and maybe this bounces off the back of what you've just said, like say somebody's listening to this in somewhere like Morningside or another, you know, Manhattan in New York or something, there isn't as much immediate poverty on the doorstep what what would could you suggest um somebody could do to sort of actually how can i act in a in a way that's just towards other people yeah i mean i think i suppose one of the first things i would say is that there's there's always a lot more poverty where than you think there is even in the places where you don't think it will be yeah. um and that also it's not necessarily there's all kinds of poverty and there's all kinds of injustice yeah. Um, and and I think, you know, part of it is being able to, I think in lots of ways, unless, you know, we maybe, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's a city thing, I think we've maybe lost an, a way of being engaged in our community. 
Mm. And actually just finding out what's going on. Um, you know, and, and maybe it's Morningside, but, you know, in your Morningside, I'm in Balerno, leafy, leafy outer, you know, suburb of, of Edinburgh. Mm. Um, there will be injustice and poverty yeah. that isn't maybe always immediately obvious but it's 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 getting involved it's it's opening your eyes it's it's reading it's understanding what's going on in in this city maybe even if I don't know specifically what's going on in Morningside there's no shortage yeah of what's going on in Edinburgh yeah to to figure out and then you know how does that cross over with with me and where I am and I think I I think that's right in terms of community like knowing what's going on in your community but I mean, when we talk about loving our neighbour um, and how well are we doing that, you know, obviously you've got your immediate street, you've got your immediate neighbourhood. But in terms of some of the challenges that we're talking about here, I wonder whether it's partly a, a sort of biblical, theological worldview that actually we need as opposed to just adopting a consumeristic worldview an individualistic worldview that we've adopted in the church, by which I mean, um, do we actually know what's going on in the lives of other people in church, regardless of outside of church? Do we know the marginalised people? Do we know the people that need encouragement? Do we know the people who, um, who've got challenges, um, the people that have got struggles? You know, and, and, and I think that there is this kind of challenge that I'm sensing God saying that, you know, to love your neighbour and to act justly, it's got to start with, you know, compassion that he has for people and wanting to see things as he sees things. And I guess the danger of where we've been at pre-pandemic is that um, we go to church, we hear the songs, we hear the sermon, we have a cup of tea, we have a chat, do we really know what's going on in one another's lives and how can we act justly within the church and outside of the church too? So it seems to me that, you know, when you look at the book of James, if there's favoritism and if there's injustice that's happening within the church, then it's actually not going to be a mark of love to those people that are in the community. And we probably need to, I think this is part of this whole kind of, refining process that God's doing at this time is that we need to have a look at ourselves as Christians and say, well, am I acting with compassion? Am I acting justly? Am I thinking beyond myself? Um, and I know that sounds might sound a bit harsh, but I think it's true that we need to take stock of, you know, what is the mark of a Christian? You know, how will people know um, that we're Christians by a love for one another and by a love for others, surely. Um, and that's not a kind of a namby-pamby thing. It's, 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 it's the nitty, you know, sort of grounded stuff that we're talking about in terms of justice, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, that, Micah 6, 8 is kind of, you know, like, what does God require of you? It's like to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it, it's right there at the the top you know yeah um act acting justly and how, how you how you behave um because essentially we you know we can we can all talk about the things we say we value but actually our values are shown in how we behave yeah 
um, our values are shown in how we spend our time. Our values are shown in how we spend our money. Yeah. And so, you know, there, there's maybe an opportunity at this time to do a little bit of a stock take yeah. of, you know, I can say that these are my values over here as a good Christian. I'll, I'll, I'll kind of name some values. Actually, am I living out of those? Yeah. And, and is it reflected in, in my, my time and my money and my, my, my choices? Um, and some of that will inevitably should then look like how I am responding to what I see around me yeah whether that's literally my my church neighbor my next door neighbor or in a slightly wider you know vicinity yeah well, I was thinking that, um, that's a helpful description because like if you said for instance I mean at the moment none of us can go anywhere right in terms of holiday but it, it kind of struck me that there there's implications like for instance on like say say you wanted to go on holiday abroad, right? You could say, uh, I'm gonna go all the way to Australia or something like that, or New Zealand on holiday. Now you could actually say, I'm not gonna go that far, that'll be better for the environment. Um, I won't spend as much money. And by not spending as much money, um, and I I will give that money away or help people that, that are in need. Do you know what I mean? Now, I'm not suggesting that people shouldn't have a holiday. And I'm not suggesting that we um, live in an, an entirely frugal way. But I think this is... But what I'm trying to do is join up the dots of what you're saying is that actually, if we're to think about acting justly and, and be humble before God, you know, um, do we need to think about the stewardship of our money, the stewardship of our time, the stewardship of the environment, um, you know, does that make sense? You know, or am I, yeah, being, I think, am I being too harsh there? No, I don't think so. And I think part of it is there's definitely something around stewardship that, and particularly stewardship, I was going to say particularly stewardship of the environment, but maybe it is stewardship of everything that is connected to justice. Yeah. Um, and I, I remember reading something that uh, Jen Hatmaker wrote a little while ago talking about she Americans she was talking about in terms of dollars but you know she was talking about like money and she said I if if I imagine every dollar I have is like a little soldier and I direct my troops in, in terms of where they go and what they do and and actually this is a resource that I get to use and I could send them all my way I can send them all into my house I can send them all into my my belly I can send them all wherever but actually when I start to think of them as troops to be marshaled by God for his purposes and for his kingdom yeah actually how I steward those suddenly feels a little bit different and it's kind of like actually these can these can do something these yeah. these troops can go and, and make a difference where will i where will i send them what will i do with them yeah. um in terms of how we in terms of how we steward the environment you know i mean that's almost like a whole other conversation all by itself but yeah. again for those of us who are in the the kind of wealthy west it's and a bit of an inconvenience when issues of climate change are, are coming up but actually we know when we have known for a number of years that issues of climate change are affecting the poor the first and the hardest 
Yeah. You know, that they, they are already have been experiencing, you know, poor communities around the world have been experiencing the, the feel of yeah. climate change for a long time and in ways that to them are devastating because they don't have the safety net and they don't have, you know, all of the things that, that we have here. So I think all of those things are about justice and it's not about trying to hit ourselves over the head and not allow ourselves any kind of treat or luxury or, or any of those things, yeah. but it's about... It's just about stewarding them well. But I, I agree. And, uh, but I think at the same time, I think, what is there not a sense in which we in the West have a degree of entitlement by which we sort of think, well, um, I work hard, I deserve, um, you know, four long haul holidays a year, or I work hard, I deserve that car. You know, I work hard, I deserve those new clothes. And it's like, you know what I mean? That is total entitlement. And actually part of the stewardship of that is is surely, you know, justice is about um, us not hoarding, you know? Mm-hmm. And and we, I think we definitely can be guilty of that in the West. And, you know, if I was like to say something about holidays and somebody might say, well, you know, what computer do you use? You've got a Mac or is that really a good use of steward? And we could go around in circles. But I do think we need probably to think wisely mm-hmm. like about it's not just about giving 10 percent of our money it's about okay we're giving out of our wealth you know compared to the rest of the world you know we're giving out of um the abundance that we've been given and and as we face the kind of culture of scarcity now where we've got less opportunities to do things there's restrictions there's things people are losing jobs people have been furloughed you know, I wonder whether this is an opportunity for us to say, you know, okay, we have been given so much blessing. How do we actually use our resources to bless others? And and the gospel is about abundance. It's not about a prosperity gospel, but actually God has come to give us life in full, not to hoard that, but to to bless others with that, to enlarge other people's lives with it globally, isn't it? And I think... I think for me, you know, that's one of the things that's coming out of the pandemic is that, um, yes, there's much scarcity, but actually the gospel offers abundance and and we need to demonstrate that. I need to demonstrate that in how we love our neighbour and how we're marked as being different and not just like, yeah, it's really terrible, you know, we can't go abroad on holiday, yeah, it's really terrible, um, you can't go to the cinema, you know, the world is doom and gloom, it's really bad actually you know we have such a different life given to us in god but also an opportunity to demonstrate the goodness of the gospel i think in in its entirety but have you got any thoughts on how the pandemic has changed things in terms of your thoughts on justice or opportunities to be able to 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 help others i mean i i hope that Maybe for some people it has brought things a little bit more, a little bit closer. Um, you know, I think that there's kind mm. of quite a thing that people, a lot of people tell it's like, you know, yes, we're all in the same storm, but we're not all in the same boat. Yeah. Um, and that actually it has maybe highlighted some of the inequalities that have already been there in our country and in our systems and it has maybe begun to shine a light on them a little bit more. And 
um, yeah. and allow for people to, yeah, see that and understand that a little bit. I think, I mean, it's interesting you talking about the idea of, of scarcity. The thing that came to my mind there was, I can't remember whether it's a Gandhi quote and somebody else, but where they talk about, you know, there's enough um, on earth for every man's need, but not for every man's greed. Mm. And actually there is still an abundance of resources in the country and, and on the planet. We're just, it's just not being Mm. shared equitably and whether you take that on an on a local level or a national level or like we were talking about earlier even with something like the vaccines on a global level yeah um there is enough there is there is enough um we need to be open-handed there's um a passage in I'm trying to think which one it is whether it's Deuteronomy but with when God's kind of outlay outlying his it's almost like his economic plan of like, this is how I want my people to respond. And it's all about the kind of the year of Jubilee and, and that whole kind of section. And he talks about like yeah. not being tight fisted and, and withholding stuff. He said, I want you to be my people to be open handed yeah. with what you have and to share willingly with others, but actually everything in our society up until this point and still teaches us, you know, like you were saying, it's the entitlement, it's mine. Yeah. You know, I, I've worked for this and I'm going to build a fence around it or put up a wall about it or whatever it might be. And actually, you know, in God's economy, mm. there is enough, but it takes those of us who've got stuff in our hands yeah. to open it, open our hands and release it and yeah, share yeah. it. No, you're absolutely right. And I think the word that comes to me in that is about generosity, you know, and and I think that's where Tim Keller's book was really helpful in terms of generous justice. It's not just like giving a bit of justice; that understanding justice in its entirety is actually should lead us to generous living, um, mm-hmm. because we've been shown so much. And it's interesting in his, you know his book. He talks about there's a strong link with understanding forgiveness and caring for the poor. If you properly understand forgiveness and you will really, you know, grow in your care for the poor. And, and you know, in James 2, 26, it says, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. And, you know, so it's like we've got to look at one another's lives and say, well, actually, if we are not demonstrating the gospel, not caring for people, not loving people, you know, as the body without the spirit is dead so faith without deeds is dead so mm. there should be that looking out for in one another's lives you know, are we actually living this out are we actually caring for people and yeah. and as simply as loving god and loving your neighbor um we just need to unpack a bit that for yeah. that ourselves like what does that mean for me to love my neighbor you know yeah but i think just going back actually as well like kind of looping this around to the question you were asking earlier about the whole you know, social action versus versus yeah. preaching the gospel thing. The thing that I've always found really interesting, so in that bit in Deuteronomy 15, where he's talking about how his people should live, mm. and he's talking about, you know, be open-handed and freely lend to wherever you give. And he, he's saying that there shouldn't be any needy people among you because the way you are living will be being open-handed and sharing everything that you have yeah. 
and resetting the bar once every generation so that nobody's born into poverty. Like this is like, he's like, this is going to be the mark of how my people live and behave. Yeah. And then you look at the church in Acts where it says they, you know, people brought what they had, Mm. They they sold it. They brought it all. They divided it equitably. There was no poor among them. Yeah. And and God added to their number daily those who were being saved. Yeah. And it's like, is it any wonder? Like, because who wouldn't want to be part of a community where everyone yeah. was cared for? And so, I kind of think we've we've lost a key part of the attraction of mm. the good news of the Bible yeah. that we we've kind of said the good news of the Bible is that Jesus died to forgive you for your sins so that you can go to heaven and not hell. Yeah. Rather than it being this open and expansive good news that actually here and now there is family and community and enough for everyone. Yeah. And that, that there is something that is so extravagantly generous and attractive about that that people will flock to it. Yeah, and and that I think that's that's going back to that Keller's point. If you truly know forgiveness, the overflow of that is that you will live and act differently. You know that you will actually um, act justly, and and you're absolutely right. You know because I I think it would kind of be like. In a lot of churches, if you turn around and said, um, yeah, nobody here is poor, nobody here is struggling. Um, in fact, everyone's really distributed the wealth quite evenly. People would be like, what? <laughs> that's a, on the one hand, that's a bit weird. But actually, you're right. Biblically, that's the way it should be. And therefore, it comes back to that question of, of stewardship. It's not a case of, right, I just give them 10% and I've done that tick. And then I just now want to work hard, so I'll play hard. You know, there needs to be a radical rethink about how the community of God lives itself first. And the way that we radically live different will be attractive to the world. It will be a marker. But I just don't mm -hmm. think we're anywhere near that. I think we, in fact... I think we just live more like the world in terms of our understanding of stewardship. Um, you know, and I think that's partly because when we don't think biblically and critically, we just adopt the ways of, oh, well, this is our culture. This is the way that we live. Um, and it sounds too radical that somebody has a field and they sell it and they give the money to the work of the church as it did in Acts. It's like, yeah, well, that, obviously that guy was a bit overenthusiastic, you know, but it, it seems to me that in a, in a sort of cynical, sceptical, post-Christian country that we live in in the UK, that people aren't saying, hmm, okay, what must I do to be saved? Um, yeah, I think the church is um, doing an amazing job. You know, more often than not, I think we're moaning and complaining like society. And actually, I just wonder whether this pandemic is 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 a pivotal moment here for us to sort of say you know how are we actually living you know how shall we live mm -hmm. as Schaefer spoke about how then shall we live as Christians um and when you think about Francis Schaefer and the breed that spent so much time looking at um intellectually like theologically how we live but actually then how you demonstrate that as community how you live out 
life as community. As one example, um, among many over the generations, I just think actually, is this a time for us to seriously have a look at ourselves and say, are we living? Are we living as Christians, you know, <laughs> or are we, are we living like people of the world who call ourselves Christians, you know? Yeah, I think that's, I think that's a really helpful challenge for us to think about. And I think for a lot of us in the West, we, we live exactly like the rest of our culture, except for the fact that we, we believe in Jesus. And, <laughs> yeah. and, but it's, it's not, it's not impacting enough you know like no, nobody can tell the difference yeah between us and everybody else yeah um and again obviously there are there are exceptions there are people in the uk christians who are who are really i think living it out in that kind yeah. of more well, radical way but i think for lots of us our our christianity yeah. is just it's a it's a club yeah if you go it's to a club, club we believe in yeah. but it's a club well, Tara, if you go to parts of Northern Ireland, you can tell people are Christians by this big, massive black Bible and the shirt and tie. As <laughs> it walk down the road. No, no, I'm, not, I'm sorry to my relatives that might be listening in Northern Ireland. That's, <laughs> there's just some people that live like that. But joking aside, it is almost like I'm distinguishedly different because I do have a big black Bible and I do dress up on a Sunday or I do wear a hat. And not that I'm absolutely generous and loving and kind and so different to people living just for themselves you know and I think by the grace of God if we can get hold of that but the only challenge in that is it's going to be a painful process of us learning to die and to actually live by faith trusting God um not just yeah. the paycheck and stuff you know like we, we, if we're going to be generous in that way um then it's going to take a little bit of honing isn't it yeah i think it's going to take a a lot of deconstructing our lifestyle and trying to separate out uh our culture from our from what we actually believe yeah so in terms of um, where we might be going, that what we, we've touched on some of that, but what, what do you see in terms of culture as we enter this new era? I mean, obviously we've spoken about how the ch- we, we do need to be different. Like, um, just quickly, I mean, how, and maybe it's a bit of an unfair question just on the hoof, but like, what, what could we do? Like, so we listen to this podcast. Oh, that's great. You know, he says that and she said that. Uh, right, okay, I better get my bacon roll now. Um, I may have forgotten what they've said. Like, what what could we actually put into action sooner rather than later? I mean, there is a degree to which that is a bit of a, you know, how long is a piece of string? And I think if, if, somebody, if somebody is listening to this or watching this, and already has a bit of a sense of, do you know what? I know there are some issues that do stir my heart. There, there are some things in the world that I know are not fair or that I know are happening locally that are not fair. I just actually, in the first instance, like I had re- until recently, you know, I, I actually haven't gotten off my backside and done anything about it. Then actually m- my first thing is to, 
to figure out what taking action about that thing might be because I already know what that thing is. Mm. I just haven't made it a priority. Um, but I think for people for whom they're kind of just like, you know, I, I really haven't thought about this very much before and there is so much going on in the world. Yeah. Like there's, there's too much to care about. Where do I start? I think that's where we start by coming before God and, you know, confessing our selfishness and con- confessing our greed and our self-centeredness and saying, okay, God, what, you know, open my eyes. You know, we, we, we sing it all the time. Break my heart for what breaks yours. It's an extraordinary prayer if we actually pray it and mean it. Yeah. And and to be able to just say, you know, would you would you lay something on my heart? Whether it is literally the person that lives across the road or whether it's an issue or a, a something that's going on that I just start to feel it in my gut. I feel and I feel mm. a burden for it and and I need to figure out mm. okay, what is what is something that I can do to start journeying towards taking action on this. And for all of us, if nothing else, the thing we can start by doing is, is praying about yeah. it. You know, whatever whatever that action is or mm. whatever that injustice is, yeah. is, is to pray about it. But I think it's always really important to not pray. Like, obviously, prayer is awesome and prayer is one of the most powerful things we can do. But mm. I think sometimes as Christians, we also use it as a way of letting ourselves off the hook of doing anything else. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and actually it's being able to kind of pray for the situation, for the person, for the whatever, and pray for ourselves. And remember that when we pray, part of it should be asking the question and then shutting up and listening for the answer. I'm yeah. saying, God, God, what do you want me to do about this? Yeah. And, and see what he says. Yeah. I, I think that's right. And, you know, pr- us talking about this i mean actually arranging to talk about this has made me think more about this and if it's more on the radar of our life and it's more there's more awareness of the need to think about justice as a central part of the gospel then praying into that and asking god to reveal that and reveal that in scripture reveal that in our neighborhoods reveal that in the world um that we become more sort of tuned into that you know because i guess one of my concerns tara is just that with the pandemic that we've become more inward and more about self-protection as opposed to looking out the way you know and what you're saying about jamaica and other countries you know it's absolutely right you know that um it would be shocking if we had a stockpile of viruses here and we won't do anything with them and we need to be generous again you know we, we we are blessed to live in a country where there's an nhs where we get vaccinated where that happens and there's many many countries in the world that will be struggling so much more with covid than us um so it's about i guess lifting our eyes to god and lifting our eyes out the way isn't it um mm-hmm. And being aware, um, and, and a lot of that stuff is is um, you know the thinking about what it means to live in the kingdom of God, and um, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, and, and 
thinking about that uh, Sermon on the Mount um, is all in there, isn't it? It's all in there. It's just, we just have to read it. And That's what I was going to say. You know, we, 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 need to, we, we don't need to go much further than the words of Jesus. I mean, yeah. you know, I think when you've been a Christian for a long time, part of the challenge is that we can just really sanitize the words of Jesus Yeah, when they are hard-hitting. Yeah, and we we maybe spend a lot of time kind of slightly softening or justifying away yeah. what he really meant was yeah. that he didn't really what he was saying it wasn't really he didn't actually mean for us to give everything away he didn't actually mean that it was just yeah. you know but actually the words of Jesus are extraordinarily yeah. challenging to our lives yeah absolutely or they should be and if they're not we maybe need to go back and take a fresh look yeah. So that's been really helpful just to chat through that. And there's a lot of challenges um, as I've spoken about that with you and other people might equally find that um, challenging. And what what we'll do is um, give people an opportunity. We've got a Facebook page. People can drop comments or questions in on that. Um, there's a Twitter page and Instagram, but I think probably Facebook is probably easier for a bit of uh, comment interaction and um you might agree with what we've been saying disagree with what we've been saying you might know some resources um about what we've been talking about too so and um you know if you've got anything i know obviously you've been involved with tier fund and other things we, we might be able to put some links to where people might go to find out um more about that but i think i think more sobering you know for me it comes back to us um being accountable ourselves, doesn't it? Uh, both individually and as churches, saying, "Okay, what what's our response to the reality of a world that where there is injustice, and how do we respond to that prayerfully and um, in action? You know, um, yeah. and not not do nothing really, because um, <laughs> yeah. um, do, doing nothing is never an option." <laughs> yeah. Um, faith without works is dead isn't it that's the thing so you know yeah um okay well thanks for taking the time and um Pleasure. it's always good to chat and uh face these challenges and to see uh what's god saying and, and obviously we're in the middle of this pandemic we're not quite sure which way it works but what i would say in that is i think it's encouraging to have these conversations if change comes about as a result of it it's not just a case of what an inconvenience let's get back to where we were before but actually if our hearts are softened by this and we're become more compassionate towards others that's a good thing yeah absolutely i hope yeah. so <laughs> let's hope so yeah let's remember um that that is the case okay thanks for joining us and um all the best in all that you're doing and, thanks Mike. and as i say people can get in touch if they want to find out more Great.